June 2018, and this is Voices of Experience. Joe Mall using breakouts to break out. And you have a special subtitle for this segment, too. That's right, David. It's great to be with you, and thank you for having me. Uh, and I'm here to talk about how you can use one hour of free speaking to feed your business all year long. Now, many of our colleagues are looking at breakouts as a less than. It's like, well, mm. I don't do breakouts. I'm way past that. My, my, my career is so big, and I just want the big stage. I want the main stage. I want the general sessions. I don't do breakouts. Huge, huge missed opportunity. Completely Am I right? Agree. Completely agree. I feel like breakouts are the new cold calling. I think cold calling is probably one of the most inefficient ways to try to drive traffic to your business because you're going to one lake that has one fish in it and then you're picking up your, your fishing line and you're going to a different lake entirely to try to fish for one other uh, prospect at a time. Uh, we all know, we've all heard for years that as speakers, our single greatest marketing tool is speaking. And so why not find a way to go to the right lake with the right fish in it, and put the right bait in the water so that you can actually pull them out in mass. Wow. So, I mean, let's just go back. We got Again, we're going to back up the truck. Sure. Beep, beep, beep. Breakouts are the new cold call. I love that more than I can say. <laughs> that is so awesome. So how do we get started down this path? Give us the Joe Mall strategy sure. for breaking out with breakouts. Sure. So, so this is how I drove traffic to my business when I was first starting out. And there's really five components to the formula. Uh, the first is to figure out uh, who are the right people to hire you for what you do. So whether you're going to uh, focus on an industry or a market or a topic or a population. And then to figure out where do those folks gather in larger quantities. So I'm specifically talking about association meetings, conference meetings. The bigger, the better. Uh, because I can spend weeks cold calling and maybe reach you know, 30, 50, 300 people in a week, depending how committed I am to it. Or I can go to an association meeting and get in a room with 200, 600, 700 people who are going to get my absolute best marketing, which is me, which is me doing my best stuff for them. Uh, and it's going to result in people coming up to me afterwards and saying, we want to bring you in. Uh, I'm a trainer by, by trade. I do a little bit of keynoting in my business, but most of it is training. And I work almost exclusively in the healthcare business. So I know which associations draw, draw high traffic for the people that are the, the right groups for me to be in front of. So you've become a student of the game. Just mm. like if you're I love the fishing analogy, too, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Way, uh, my friend Corey Perlman says fish where the fish are. Yeah. But you need to study the fish. You need to study the lake. You need to study the boat. You need to study the right kind of fishing rod. The right, right. Kind of, So let's talk about when you're doing the breakout. So yeah. you, you've done this homework. You've yeah. triangulated. You've yes. said, okay, I know where I need to be yes. to get in front of my yes. people. Yes. What do you do in that breakout yeah. that stimulates them to come up to you afterwards. Joe, do you do training on this? Joe, we need to bring yeah. you in. Do you let that just randomly happen sometimes? Uh, or question. do you have techniques yeah. that you're doing during that breakout that would sort of hint or mention or indicate that yeah. there's other ways to use you? It starts with the title of the session. 
Okay, so the title has to be sexy. The title has to have their specific problem in the title, and it has to use language that, that sizzles and that pops because you want it to stand out in the conference brochure. You want people to see that title and say, oh my, I have to be at that session. So I work in healthcare. Uh, if I was going to try to do a session to help people cut down on patient scheduling issues, and I titled my session Five Tips to Cut Down on Patient Scheduling Issues, that's boring. Uh, but if I titled that session, uh, ending call-offs, no-shows, and late arrivals once and for all, that has a little bit more catch to it. And I'm talking about the very specific things that they face every day. And so I need to get them in the room first with a killer title. So that's really the second piece. And I encourage folks, if you're going to try this approach, uh, when, you're, when you're sending in proposals for these associations, uh, pay a lot of attention to that title. Pay a lot of attention to the first two sentences that go in your session description because that's what's going to get people in the room. So do you have a formula for those first two sentences or is what, what they should contain, what kind of language we should be using? I often use a, a question. Uh, are, do you struggle with? Uh, are you stuck? Are you you know, you're asking that question that kind of says, is this you? Uh, and if you know this group and you have the expertise to solve their problems, it should be very easy to come up with those questions. Obviously, the title and the description is one mm -hmm. way to get them in the room. Yes. A few days before or even that morning, yeah. are you on social media? Are yes. you tweeting? Yes. Are you inviting? Are you saying, join me in Salon Absolutely. G yes. at 1030 a.m. for? Yes. So you're promoting this in real time Absolutely. on social media with their hashtag mm -hmm. on their Facebook page. You're like a one-man breakout campaign. And you don't have to be. You do. You can do all those things. But if, if there are two or three associations that someone wants to target because it's in their niche, I have two or three associations that I'm at every year because it makes sense for me. I have people I've worked with there who, if you're a member of that association, there are always forums and discussion groups, sometimes on the members-only portal of those associations. And so I will go in and say, hey, come to my session. I have clients who will go in and say, you got to see this guy. And they'll go in and say, hey, this, this guy has made a huge difference for us. Go see Joe's session. You won't be disappointed that And that's did. beautiful when it happens organically. Do you sometimes ask them? I do. I do. Uh, for folks that I have a longstanding relationships with, I might go to them and say, hey, would, would you be open to this? I just want to make sure folks like you, who have really benefited from all the work that we've done together, can find me in the midst of all these other sessions they have to choose from. So you'll ask yeah. a, a good client, yep. a repeat client, yep. hey, would you do a quick plug on, yep. on our Facebook page for folks to come to my session? Or within that online members-only forum of the association. And I've even offered to write it for them to save them time. Oh, sure. No, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Copy, paste, yep. post. Yep. I love that. Yep. All right. So now they're in the room. Yep. How do we do the breakout that is, number one, adding tremendous value to them, yep. but number two, it's also our best sales tool that we intentionally put some sales mechanisms, yeah. just a few here and there, into what we say or what we do. How okay. does that work? So I, I believe you do your best stuff. You do absolutely your best Empty the stuff. tank. You give it to them. And you do it, you've got to be awesome, right? If you're a good speaker, this strategy is not going to work for you as well as if you devote yourself to being the best speaker they've ever seen and to absolutely absolutely wow them and blow them out of the water. So, so there home runs, home runs score points, absolutely. triples do not. Absolutely. And well, triples will get runs eventually. Triples will get you close, right? That's right, but the points go on the board faster when you hit a dinger, right? Uh, so you go in, you do your best stuff, you sprinkle in your stories 
the ways in which you work with your clients. So when I tell stories, and I use a lot of those very colorful examples from a training and development perspective, I'm saying, I have a client in this city, and this is something that's happened to them. Or most of the time when I, when I work with practice managers, that's who I do most of my work with is practice managers and outpatient medical groups, these have, they have these kinds of problems. How many of you have that problem? Everybody raises their hand, right? So you're sprinkling in very subtle pictures of how you work with people. So you don't have to stand in front of the room and say, I do long-form training, I do keynotes, and I do some smaller group masterminding type of work with people. You sprinkle them in as the stories that you use to teach the techniques that you want them to learn. Love that. Really, really good. Now, I'm guessing there's some things that we do after we yes, leave the room. Is. Absolutely. So do we capture leads? Do we capture business cards? Right. How do we stay connected to these folks who might not immediately come up and say, Joe, we got to bring you in, right. but they're very open to a conversation maybe a day or two after or a week later or a month later or whenever? Yeah, so this is key, a deeper dive tool or resource that is paired with the content that you've delivered. So the first time I ever used this strategy, I decided on the fly to give everybody in the room a copy of my book. It was one of those moments where I thought, I need something in their hands that they can show to the people they're going to go back and talk to within their organizations that demonstrates the depth of my expertise. And so I gave them all a copy of my book, and it was a huge home run. Uh, nowadays, what I'm doing is a downloadable digital toolkit. And so there are a lot of text-based subscription services that are out there now. I use one of them. I will share with the folks in the room very early in the session. I've created a downloadable digital toolkit for the workshop we're doing together today. Um, I'm going to tell you how to get it in a second. We're going to park it in your email inbox before you leave the room. So you don't have to try to find it on the internet or in amongst all the materials that you've gathered during the conference here this week. And so about three quarters of the way through the session, I use a tool like many other speakers do, text this keyword to this number. It's integrated to my email list. And then they, I give them those instructions and they end up getting the materials that I've created for them. And I try to pack three or four really high quality uh, resources into that email that they get from me even before they leave the room. I love the language there. We're going to park it in your email mm-hmm. inbox even before. It's not, oh, you're going to subscribe. Nope. You're going you're gonna to opt in, right? Yeah. It's like, no, yeah. no, we're going to – it's like, I'm, I'm going to do you a favor. Yep. We're going to park it in your email inbox even before you leave. Mm-hmm. Joe's such a nice guy. <laughs> Joe is so generous. And I'm very upfront with, with the conference organizers and in the proposals about this because some associations don't want you collecting information. Some associations are very careful about what you you can put on slides. So in the proposal, I say that it, it comes with an accompanying digital. downloadable digital toolkit delivered that. via email, because I, I want to be as upfront and transparent about that as possible. You're an ethical dude. I try my best, sir. That is great. So now, okay, we've left the room. Yep. A whole bunch of people, 80% usually get the direct digital, di- I'm sorry, the digital download resource. Yeah, it usually kit. lives between 90 95%. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So now we have them. Now, now we got them. Got them. Now we mm-hmm. got them. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Send something like immediately 24 hours after yes. that same day. It's waiting in their inbox when they get back to the office. What's yep. what's the mechanism? So they get the, the downloadable toolkit immediately, which has the links for them to get the resources. Then within 24 hours, they get a thank you note from me. Thanks for coming to my session. And I ask them for feedback. What, what was most helpful? Is that a personalized note? Is that just blasted out via it's, your it's email service? It's an autoresponder that I okay. have built in. Yep. Yep. I invite them to email me directly with additional questions, or I really want to engage with my tribe as much as possible. So the initial request for 
that feedback is automated, but the emails that follow are, are me directly. Yeah. And then after that, this strategy assumes that other people who are going to use it are continuing to put content out there into the world for their tribe. So I publish twice a month an, an email newsletter and a YouTube series for the people that I serve. And so I tell them, when you sign up for this digital toolkit, I'll also make sure you get this stuff. I tell my audiences all the time, if you don't want it, just unsubscribe, and then I will take it personally. And, nice. You know, it always gets a chuckle. Right? right. And people stay on the list because I'm trying to give them stuff that helps them every day. And so this strategy, it drives traffic to me immediately after the session who say, can we talk next week? I need you to come to my site or talk to my team. It drives traffic in the form of later. I, I've had people say, I saw you two years ago at this breakout and I've had your stuff and I want to bring you in. And it gives me referrals. I get calls all the time. Our chapter treasurer saw you at this thing and I'm the president and I'm planning next year's keynote speakers for our conference and we would like to talk with you about speaking. So it, it serves me on all three of those levels. All right, Allison Lex, welcome to VOE. This is Allison Lex of AllisonLex.com, master copywriting genius. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm great. I'm so excited to be here and thank you for that awesome intro. I love so it. Let's, let's just get right to it. Crazy. Uh, Crazy speaker expert mistakes when they're writing copy. And let's be clear, because this is a technical term, right? Copy yes. does not mean like a photocopier. We're not talking about Xerox. <laughs> this is the marketing language, right? The marketing yes. copy on your website, on your one sheet, on your speaker bio, on your marketing materials. What are mm -hmm. some mistakes that speakers often make when they're writing their copy? Absolutely. Well, and I even like to go further and say sales copies so that we know that the job of the copy you're doing is to sell um, either your speaking or any back-end products or courses that you have or consulting, that kind of thing. The biggest mistake that I see is that speakers and really marketers all over the world make their copy very them-centric, right? Or speaker-centric or focused on me. And your customer wants you to focus on them. They want you to focus on what their pain is and what their needs are and what their experience has been and what they're looking to change in their lives, not all about you. And so a lot of times I see speakers start off with, uh, you know, a bio and I'm, I'm going to put it out there who no, nobody really cares about your bio until you've told me why it matters to me. So it's not about me, me, me messaging. It's about you, you, you. So let's just let's do a little kind of sample copy makeover really quick. What okay. structure, what lead in do you recommend? Like let's say on a speaker's homepage, speaker mm -hmm. website homepage. I've seen people use a couple different things. I know you have all kinds of fun tools in your toolkit, but you know, I think one of the most powerful basic ones is this you right? Yes. Is this you? You wrestle with this. You're looking for that. You're frustrated by this. So there's the, is this you model? What mm -hmm. else is like that that we can kind of plug into our website for an automatic turnaround and a pretty big improvement? Absolutely. Well, a lot of times I'll start with a, when I'm writing copy for my clients, I'll start with a big promise benefit driven headline that really just kind of captures their attention and tells them why they should keep reading. Um, the, basically, the, the job of the headline is to get the reader to read the first sentence. And so by, by making it promise-oriented, big benefit-driven, then your 
you're kind of saying, hey, I understand a little bit about your pain. I also understand what you want. Um, and I'm going to show you how that can be delivered if you keep reading. So, um, and then I go in to actually talking about their pain a little bit and explaining why, if they are where they are, they're going to stay stuck. And why, if they don't get that secret sauce, if you will, that things aren't going to change for them. And then I'm able to go in and introduce why the presentation or the product or what have you is the right, the right thing for them. Um, so really kind of creating a story almost rather than, um, than just a, a bullet list is another option. So speakers obviously are good or we're supposed to be good at telling stories and yes. having an engaging narrative. And you're saying that's a very, that's a legitimate way to approach your sales copy. People love stories. Stories, I mean, the oral tradition predates the written tradition. So um, if we want to get a little uh, scholarly there, but um, you know, people, uh, history is made up of stories and that's how people really connect with one another. That's how people relate. And so if you can tell a really good story, even by, it's called future casting, where you invite your reader or your audience to imagine their lives once they have your solution, um, that's a story. It doesn't sound like, I mean, it's not a nonfiction Stephen King book or anything, but it's a good story and one that relates to them directly. If you can work that into your copy, it's, it's going to get read. And again, the literal, the literal implementation of that might be on our one sheet, on our web page, on our speaker page. Imagine if, bullet, exactly. bullet, 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 right? right? Imagine if coming to work was a joy instead of a pain every day. Exactly. Imagine if your sales team were crushing their quota consistently. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you no longer had to put up with X, but instead you got Y. Imagine right. if is a fabulous door opener to that kind of inner storytelling where we're encouraging them to almost tell themselves the yes. story. Imagine if things were a whole lot better in this area or that area. Exactly. And imagine is one of the most powerful words in sales copy because it really, it's an invitation, but also a little bit of a command. And so people, um, people do it. <laughs> so let's, let's move on to like one of the real ninja tricks that I think is super important for speakers. And this is specifically about that bio. You said, yeah. so putting the bio on the homepage about me, 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 and here's what I've done, here's who I am, <laughs> is a bad idea. Whether that's on your homepage or your bio page or your about page mm -hmm. or anywhere else. Any copy. On your written bio, a PDF or a Word document. Mm -hmm. The bio magic is you in terms of them. So yes. talk about how do we get from a me, me, me bio to a bio about me in terms of what I can do for my audience? Absolutely. So there are really two steps to it. And the first one is to um, objectively and critically look at what you have out there now. Um, and I think actually you, you do this too. You count the number of times you say, I, me, my name, my, anything that's personal a personal pronoun or a personal noun, so your name or um, the pronouns I listed, and um, cut them by 75%. Um, really just stop talking about yourself. But even I think the next step is to then, like the second part of that first step really, is make sure that it's not in the first two or three paragraphs. 
your first two or three paragraphs should not have the word I in it unless you're directly talking about them in the instance of I've seen with my clients, blah, 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 right? Because you're talking about them. Um, and then the second part of making sure that you're, you're removing that speaker centricness from your copy is to always finish up a thought with why do they care? Right. So I could tell you that I have a PhD in my macrobiology, which I don't, I'm not sciencey, but if, if you're looking at getting your sales copy done, you really don't care about my PhD in macrobiology unless I'm able to say, which means I'm able to take complex scientific concepts and break them down so that everyday people can understand. You know what I mean? So if I connect the dot with here's this information about me and here's why it matters to you. That's how you should be formatting every single one of your sentences and paragraphs in your bio, in your one sheet, in your, um, your, any speaker materials, your speaker box, all of that stuff should be formatted in that way. Avish Parashar, welcome back to Voices of Experience. Fantastic talking with you last month about you know the interview that nobody heard because we told them do not listen to this interview. Right. Uh, now we have something that they do really need to listen to <laughs> and they need to listen to closely, which is be impossible to ignore. Work on your craft. Make yourself mm-hmm. into an awesome speaker and an awesome product. Give us a little backstory of how you came to this philosophy and then walk us through what we can start to do. Absolutely. So uh, this is a quote from Steve Martin. Um, and credit where credit is due, I first heard this from Scott McCain, CPA. Uh, but Steve Martin said that people ask him all the time, what's the secret to success in show business? Uh, and he said, I always give people the same advice. And to my understanding, no one's ever taken it. And it is simply, be so good, you are impossible to ignore. And... You know, I think that is very apt. It was certainly very apt for me, and I think it's very apt for a lot of people I see within uh, the speaking industry and many businesses, because with NSA, there's a lot of marketing programs, and everyone wants to learn how to be a better marketer, right? No one enters the speaking industry because they're a good marketer and bad speaker, right? We all come in because we love to speak. We just want to learn how to sell it. And it took me many more years than I'd care to admit to realize that my business was languishing because I wasn't good enough. And it wasn't until I really worked on the craft, and you know, I don't want to sound arrogant here because I'm I still have a long way to go in my own mind. But once I really got better, my business really started to take off. Because once you are so good that people can't help but talk about you, um, everything gets easier. Referrals get easier. The marketing gets easier. Your demo video gets better. And I just think that it's so easy to overlook because it's hard to have that honest self-assessment of I'm not that good yet. So can we almost assume that no matter where we are, we could be beginning speaker, mid-career speaker, we could be a Hall of Famer. On one level, of course, we have to have confidence in delivering what we deliver. Yeah. But should we also say, you know what? It's almost never good enough. I can always go back to the workshop. I can always go back and make something tighter or stronger or sharper or better. So how do we avoid that level of arrogance or complacency where it's like, hey, I'm making X number of dollars. I'm booked X number of dates. People love me. I get great reviews. I get great testimonials. I can now just stop working on my stuff. How do we short circuit that and always look to be getting better? Well, I think, um, I mean, if your career is where you want it to be, 
booking-wise, everything-wise, then this becomes less urgent. However, the world changes so fast, it it's easy to get irrelevant. So I think no matter what level you are, you have to keep, you know, to use the old trope, sharpening the saw, improving your craft. I think we need to set a higher bar for ourselves than anyone else would ever set for us. And too often, and, you know, this always happens at NSA, I know you go to general session, everyone's in the audience, and so many of us are sitting there watching the speaker thinking to ourselves, well, I'm better than that. I should be up on that stage. Like, oh, yeah. And it's, it's an ego thing. You know, we're not even caring about being critical for them. It's making us feel better to know that, oh, well, they're up there on the main stage, but I'm better than them. And we need to flip that and say, well, A, find the mentors. You know, virtually, you don't have to even talk to them, but find the people who you legitimately are, are better than you. And one way of doing that, and it's a little bit easier for me from a performance side, but I like to watch speakers and say, I can't do that. And that's what we're looking for. And even if you're not a performance person, watch a speaker who's an amazing storyteller and say, I can't tell stories that well yet. Um, you know, I watch you when you're speaking and you just give this mind-blowing content, like like great ROI with, with well-phrased. And I'm like, my content's not crafted that way. So it's stopping looking at other speakers from the perspective of how am I better than that person and starting to look for who is better than me that I can aspire to not be like, but that will raise the bar for me? Or what can I learn from that person? What can I learn? What can I learn from that person? Yeah, I think that that sense of humility about I'm not that good yet or I'm not that good at that particular aspect. And, you know, we talk about this with mastermind groups and with, yeah. with peer groups. If you're the smartest guy or smartest gal in the room – Get a better room. Yeah, you're not going right? to. Oh, I'm better than this, and I should be on stage instead of her. And that's not going to help you sharpen the saw. Mm -hmm. That's going to help you get arrogant and complacent faster. Yeah. So we don't want to do that. And what I would recommend, I'm a big fan of thought experiments where it kind of gives you freedom because it's a creativity thing. like gives you freedom to play without really feeling bad about yourself. So I say try this. Um, rate yourself. Just your presentation skills, your story, your craftsmanship on a scale of 1 to 10. 6. Okay. Now, that's lower than most people would rate themselves, right? I've done this, and people usually seven, eight. Some people say nine. I have a and whole imposter syndrome thing going no, here. Yeah, it's terrible. And what I, and sometimes I know the speakers who rate themselves. I'm like, mm, I don't know if I'd put you there. But we all, you know, it's like it's like 80% of people consider themselves above average drivers, right? It's like, mm, no, literally impossible. But for the thought experiment, take the number you came up with and say, what would I have to do to my presentation and craft if the real number was half that? So... If I think I'm an eight, I say, okay, I'm an eight. I don't really need to work on craft. You know, my marketing's a four, so let me just not even worry about the craft. Because say, okay, well, what would I have to do if my craftsmanship was at a four, not an eight? And then be like, oh, man, well, I guess I'd have to work on my stories. And uh, I definitely need to up my content because I'm kind of talking about the same thing everyone else is, blah, blah, blah. So it kind of forces your mind to think about things you would otherwise ignore. Are you saying that you're a four and I'm a three? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Wow. But, I got a one is best. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, very nice. Nice flip on that. Uh, I love that. So take wherever you think you are and cut it in half. Yeah, and then say, what do I have to do to get back to the original level? What do I have to get to a 10 now? Yeah. Now, is that sometimes just about kind of going back to the quote-unquote workshop? Is that about getting some coaching? Is that about reading a book? Is that about coming more to NSA and taking advantage of our internal resources here? How do we work on that? The two primary ways I would suggest doing that, because um, all those things you said are great, but all those things are also distraction. So what I would say, that's what we learn, but to really up your game is about implementation and applying. So two things to try. Number one, Take your speech topic, overall content, and say, how would I deliver this if I could not 
use anything I've ever done before to deliver it. If I couldn't tell any of the stories I use, if I couldn't use any of the exercises, any of the sound bites. All brand new. Write a whole new keynote as a thought experiment. And I did this. This is when I up my game, I did this. And when I, the final product ended up being, you know, 40 to 50% of the old stuff. But the other 40 to 50 or 60 to 50% that was new would not have happened because, you know, we try to tweak, right? Here's my speech. And you can't innovate by tweaking. But just to be clear, at first, you created 100% new. Yeah. And I didn't, I mean, writing keynotes hard. So I didn't necessarily put together word for word every little bit. But, you know, I kind of was like, all right, here's the story and here's what I can craft. And here's the exercise. So I thought about what would my keynote look like if it was the same topic, 100% different content. And then I say, okay, what here is worth keeping versus the old one? And you so can repeat this. And then you tossed half of the new stuff out that wasn't up to par. Yeah, I didn't like it. It didn't really fit. And then you brought in the greatest hits that had always worked and had always been strong before, but they had to earn their spot in the new lineup. Yeah. And so that's the implementation. All the stuff you talked about, about coaching, sessions, books, that gives you the talent and raw material to do that exercise. So those are useful. But, you know, we get in this zone of just learning and not applying. So that's the first thing I'd recommend. Yeah. The next thing I'd recommend is, um, it's kind of hard to phrase, do, do what's impossible, I guess, to, to be motivational speakery, um, which is what do you think you can't do in your presentation, your keynote, your consulting? What do people in your industry think is impossible? What is your, when you think of as your first response, like, I can't do that, and then go figure out a way to do it. Because that forces you to up your game. Mike Rayburn said this best at a uh, convention. He said, uh, he's, for those who don't know, he's a guitarist, brilliant CPA. He said, write music you can't play, then learn how to play it. So for me personally, I do improv comedy, and I put that into keynote format. And improv is usually done with a group of talented performers. I didn't want to bring people along with me. It's too complicated. Plus, you have to pay them. Plus, you have to pay them. I, I want that. all the money for yeah. myself. I like how Connie Podesta I want all the money. Um, so I was trying to, and there's some very great improv games that are so funny, hilarious, and engaging, but they really require more than one talented performer. So I did games that were less entertaining, which is where I kind of fell in this middle ground of not being great. Then I started to say, how can I to improv at that level with just me and maybe audience volunteers that have no experience? And it took a while, but I came up with some formats, and that's when my keynote, when I solved that problem, A, it takes your game to a whole nother level and B it differentiates because everyone else has the same limitations and everyone else has the same challenges. If you're the one that overcomes them, you automatically separate yourself from the pack. Now that doesn't have to be performance necessarily, right? It could be ROI. Like if you're a content speaker, you know, everyone says, uh, you know, people don't implement after they learn. Well, maybe you can be the one that, that fixes that. You know, maybe your topic is something that's just dry. Like, oh, and I get this all the time when I present for chapters. People are like, well, my topic's very dry. It's like, uh, you know, sensitivity training or, you know, someone's like, you know, data analysis. And I'm like, yeah, that's an opportunity because everyone talks about it in a dry way. If you could be the speaker that makes it exciting, then you have raised your game and differentiated yourself. So do the impossible. Do the impossible. Do of, the impossible. You know, write music you can't play and then... Go learn how to play it. Wow. All right. So other closing thoughts, final things to leave our listeners with as they're going for the impossible dream. Uh, sure. One final thought. Um, you know, I, I have this process about being outstanding, like taking it to the next level. And it really has three components. One is set a higher standard for yourself. Two is break new ground, which is doing the impossible. And the third component is continuous, courageous action. 
And what I mean by that is, no matter how brilliant your first go is, what great ideas you have, there's a good chance it's going to fail the first time you try to implement. And people get that perfection syndrome, so they don't try until it's perfect, so they never try. Or they try it, it doesn't work, so they retreat back. The continuous courageous action means keep trying it, keep failing. Because if you're trying to do the impossible and raise the bar, it's going to... Like when I, I talk about redoing my keynote, taking it to a new level, the very first time I did the new version, it didn't go so well. <laughs> and so I went back and changed it and adjusted. So you got to continuously have that willingness to mess it up so that you can get to that next level. Well, people who know anything about our voices of experience this year, no problem messing it up. Donna St. Louis, speaker extraordinaire and author of Six Kick-Ass Strategies of Million-Dollar Entrepreneurs. Now, the number six is kind of special to you because your book is about the six strategies, and you also have a very interesting uh, extension of your speaking-driven business, which is this mastermind concept where people connect with you and you meet with them monthly and the number six sort of have shows up a couple different places there. Talk about how that came to be and then six us through it. Give us all the sixes in your empire. Absolutely. So the uh, the six mastermind or and it's an a six accountability and mastermind group is actually built up of clients of mine that want a little bit more group coaching but in a very small group manner and it helps them be accountable for reaching their goals on a weekly basis so we do meet on a weekly basis for one hour and most people so go, 60 minutes there's your first six 60 minutes, 60 minutes six people and on top of it there are six things that they're supposed to have done every day for five days a week need to change that to a six but there are six, six things days that, a week do it on saturday <laughs> there are six things they're supposed to do five days a week in order to help them reach not only their monthly goal but their quarterly and their annual goals and the cool thing is that it consistently works. Okay, so nice. let's let's break down each and every component of that. Absolutely. So in your book, you talk about what these six things are. And it's six activities that are in three categories, two activities in each. Exactly. Break that down for us. So the whole thing is that uh, quite a few entrepreneurs and non-entrepreneurs, by the way, do not do enough business development on a regular basis. We are so busy working in our business and not working on our business. And people get this confused all the time. I'm going to help you right now clear up the difference between in your business and on your business. There is a big difference between being on the news and in the news. When you are in the news, you've done some things. When you are on the news, you are a consultant or an expert. So that's the difference. So either you're in your business and on, or on your business, and most of the time we are working so deep in our business doing the day-to-day muddle of stuff that we never actually work on business development and growing our business. So how do we do that? Well, the first thing that we do is we look at what are the six things that you can do every day? Now, Ivy Lee, who was from the turn of the century, helped Bethlehem Steel executives figure out how to be more productive during the day by just doing the most important six things every day. That does not work for us today in the new millennium because the most important things that we would do every day would be check Facebook, go on LinkedIn, make sure we get out our tweets. That is really not going to develop business the way we want it to. So the six things we categorized into three categories, income production, relationship building, and professional development. Now, going in reverse order, I'll start with professional development. Professional development is learning something new in regards to your own area of expertise and sharing that newness. 
Number two is as you put that information out and you share it, people are going to learn from it and you will start cropping up new relationships. You have current relationships with people you're working with and then you have those past relationships that you need to keep on maintaining. So you need to do two types of relationship building tasks every day. And then those relationships actually turn into income. They turn into opportunities. So now you want to make sure that you are working to at least two opportunities every single solitary day. Now, these numbers might seem very minor, but I want you to take a listen. If you are doing two income production tasks every day and you did this for 52 weeks, you have now done 520 income production tasks that year. Most people can't quantify their work. I can actually quantify my work down to what I'm doing, what works, what I should keep doing, what I should stop doing, and what I should start doing. And let's talk about income production because I think a lot of our colleagues get this wrong. You think, well, I posted a blog. That's income that production. That's not income production. <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, I tweeted or you know, like you're saying, all this ridiculous stuff. Right. Your definition, the way you and I have talked about it, is any direct-to-prospect activity that brings you one tangible step closer to a check. Yes, Anything that you're doing that closes the deal. And here is the thing. So it's prospecting. It is relationship building. It is making offers. It is closing deals. It is getting in front of economic buyers. Kind of yes and kind of no. Kind of yes and kind of no. So let's talk about just income production. So income production specifically is I have an opportunity that is sitting on my desk. And most people do not have their sales process nailed out enough. That includes not only what they should do, but what their expectation is or an agreement from the client. See, a lot of us will say, I sent them a proposal and therefore they check off that they did their job. No, you have to send your proposal and not only has your customer accepted it, but they've agreed to review it. That is a full step process. So it's next action on your part, Pro- next desired action on, on the, their part. And that they agreed to do it, that's when that process so is done. closing that loop. Yes, so you have to constantly close the loop on every single process of your, of your sales process. So here's the deal. Income reduction is actually moving that sales process forward. Not not from prospecting where you're going and looking at people. No, you're having the conversation already in regards to making money. That's income reduction. Right. Anything other than that is not income reduction. Gotcha. So it's going to be in one of the other two categories, or it's going to be in the total waste of time category that we should be or it's not going doing. To be, or it's going to be in delivery, which not right. that delivery isn't a, is a waste of time, but delivery for the most part, if you're working your business like I do and you get paid in advance, delivery is not an income production activity. It's a requirement to fulfill the contract. Right. And so these are six things that are top priority every day. Do we do these like before a certain time? We do these before noon every day. What's your recommendation? I do mine, quite honestly, first thing in the morning. And you have to know I am not a morning person. However, I will tell you from an income production standpoint, I have learned that as long as I reach out to decision makers before the day starts, I have a higher rate of reaching them. So you're you're like sending emails, making calls like 6.30, 7 a.m.? Probably more around 7 to 8.30. Okay. So I'm reaching out at that time. It is the best time frame. I do that Tuesday through Friday, and I have a very high rate of return. Fantastic. So now let's, t- is there any more about that, by the way? So that's income production. Do you want to talk a little bit about relationship yes, building? Yes, I do. So relationship building, I will tell you, and, and David is probably going to laugh at me a little bit because we get along so well. I suck at relationship building. <laughs> yes, I can hang out until 3 o'clock in the morning, but it's not something I'm, I feel really strong at. So what I do, quite simply, is every day I send out two postcards. 
That's all I do to past clients or that's all I do, past clients, current clients, and even someone I want to meet in the future. I send out two postcards. I usually make them a little funny. They're handwritten. I put something on the back, a little signature, and I send it out. I just do two, do two of those a day. I still want you to keep in mind, this is 520 a year probably more postcards than most people send in their lifetime, I do in a year, and those postcards have a return on investment. Now, with those 520, is that always 520 different people? Do we have folks that we circle back with yes. every three months, they get a postcard? So let's say that I have someone that says, we're not ready now, reach us, reach out to us in a year. They're gonna get a quarterly postcard. Okay. Okay. There might be someone that I just worked out, worked with, they're definitely getting a postcard. And they're probably getting a postcard not only f- from me in regards to myself, but I might be saying, it was fantastic to be on stage, I've gotten a lot of great feedback, and I know you have to look at next year, check out David Newman, give me a call about him. So not only am I now building relationship with David, I'm building a relationship with the event planner because I'm gonna make their life easier, right? Right. So now I've just built two relationships in one swipe. Now how do you track, or how do you, what mechanism do you use for who's gotten a postcard, when's time for the next postcard, all I, of that. I use a CRM. I use Agile CRM. It's very easy. It's very inexpensive. So you're not it's winging very robust. This. No, this I'm like, not. Yeah. It's not. It's not Wong. <laughs> it's not Wong. <laughs> it's not Wong. <laughs> There's a new T-shirt. That's it. It's, it's not, not Wong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are we are totally making t-shirts for everyone who's listening to VOE right now. All right, let's move on to our third bucket then. Professional development. Yes. Okay, it was funny. I actually talked to someone a couple of days ago in regards to professional development because they say, I see you do marketing all the time and I just I don't know like how do you do it and I am not the marketing guru in the room here as we know that would be Mr. Newman but this is what I do. One of the things that I have learned that I need to make sure that I can take my content and I need to be able to share it with other people. But the thing is, we are so stuck on our content and how we apply it in our lives that we forget to go and ask our customers how they would apply that content. So I might take a negotiation tactic and I might call one of my VP of sales and say, hey, listen, here's this negotiation tactic. How would you want your salespeople to use it? And then when they tell me, I go and do a Facebook live stream on it, for example, and I will take that Facebook live. So now I've learned something on how they would use it in sales. So I've learned something too. Now I'm sharing it by putting on Facebook Live, and then I go a step further, and I make a LinkedIn blog, I go and tweet it, I put a blog post, and it's on YouTube. So now I've done not only professional development, but marketing all in one swipe. So I've learned something new, I've shared something, and by the way, that sales director, he's probably taking that blog post and sharing it with all his people. So that's why professional development is critical, because you learn something, you share something, and that what you shared usually gets shared much further than your little click. And one thing I've noticed is that in our world of social media and sharing and retweeting and posting and cross-posting, people will often give you credit for an article that you've posted that it clearly has someone else's name, right? So you're posting something from fastcompany.com or entrepreneur.com. You're clearly saying, here's a cool article. Mm-hmm. And they say, Donna, I love your point about, you know, number right. three. It's like, dude, I didn't write the article, right. but they don't know. Right. And because just, you shared the article and you added value by simply pointing it out. Exactly. There might be something minute that I'm pointing out. I've said tons of times, 
I got this from my director of sales, Mike Bentley at Deep Blue Communications, and this is what he said, and then I'll talk about it. I said, and, and that's fantastic. Here's my little spin on it. And not only will Mike go and share it with everyone and put it in every sales group on LinkedIn, but then people come back and go, oh my gosh, Donna, that was brilliant. And I'm like, let's not forget Michael. You know? Right, right. <laughs> it's almost like that recency effect where like the last person that, that touched it is the one that gets that's credit. It. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that. So that is how to do your your daily six. Yeah, and once you do, do we this, call it daily six. It's the da- that is the daily six. The daily that's six. what you want to do. Every, that's what you want to do every day. Jeff Corhan, welcome, my friend. Social selling for speakers. This is an area where we need some help. Talk to us. Social selling for speakers. Well, this is one of those things that really didn't exist at the beginning of the whole social media you know, we talked about social media marketing, right? And so the way things have evolved is that now selling and marketing are kind of becoming congruent in that you can attract leads with both marketing and selling, but you can drive them to a converted outcome, meaning a profitable outcome. And that's really the definition of content marketing, which is probably its brother, which is to basically attract and engage people and drive profitable actions. But now this has really become a big thing. And it's probably driven a lot by LinkedIn, who uh, obviously has a stake in this. But now it's getting very interesting as LinkedIn is becoming, uh, I heard it described yesterday as the old man of social media. You know, that's how it started out, you know, just all business. But now it's becoming very relaxed, very friendly. And now they just launched native video, which means from your mobile device, we'll be able to record a video straight to LinkedIn, which is telling us that live video is going to be in that LinkedIn newsfeed. So it's really getting very interesting. But basically, in my mind, what is it? it boils down to getting people to do what we all know you need to do, and that is to get to know, like, and trust you and your business. So let's talk about this because there, you know, the know, like, and trust factor, generally speaking, we talk about this before a sale happens, right? Before mm-hmm. we go from lead to prospect to you know, deal, close deal, and so forth. Walk us through this new slant of selling where we're reaching out, we're offering some value, we're inviting some engagement, we're driving them to a sales conversation where they know something is for sale, you know something is for sale, maybe it's your keynote, maybe it's a seminar, maybe it's a training, maybe it's a six-month consulting package or whatever it is that we sell. How do we go from friendly online banter to serious sales conversation to serious lead and follow-up and check in the door? Wow, uh, that's 17 questions. <laughs> and, and there are about a thousand answers. And I would have to say that it's different for everybody. Uh, for somebody like me, I'm, I'm more of a soft sell. Uh, I would say you are more on the stronger side. And, and trust me, I, I'm an introvert. So I try to be more like people like you that are more visible, more active, more engaged, because that is my biggest challenge. Where I'm strong is putting content out there and, and getting people's attention. And that's how I've attracted, you know, if you're going back almost 10 years ago, my first uh, speaker bureaus that I work with. And so I got really excited about just putting good content out there. Uh, I, maybe I was a little bit too. So yeah, let's talk about that for a quick second. I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I'm channeling our, our listeners. I'm channeling. Okay. And they say, Jeff. I've been blogging my brains out for years. I'm putting out my email newsletter. I've got a book. I've got several books. I'm a content marketing machine. 
and it hasn't done me a lick of good. It hasn't converted into a single lead or a single sale. People email me and they say, great article. Or they email me and they say, awesome blog. Or they even comment on the blog and they say, awesome blog. But I haven't generated business. So as an introvert, as a content marketing machine that you are, how do you turn that great content into a lead magnet or a prospecting opportunity? Or do we just kind of sit by the phone and wait and hope? Or is there a better plan? Good question. Because if I go back 10 years ago, as I was mentioning, you know, content marketing for me was just publishing content and it got the phone ringing. But that's because back then, blogs were destinations and, and SEO worked completely different back then. And I get what they're saying because I do not, I, we all experience this. I don't care who you are. Everybody's saying we are not getting the traffic we used to get. So the key, the real key is being engaged with people. And there are ways to do that. I'm discovering that Instagram is working very well. I, I've not been an Instagram user, but what I'm doing is just doing everything I can to be more visible and to strike up conversations. And let's just get down to it. My tip is to pick up the telephone and just call those people. I did this last week. Here's an example of how content and social selling work together. Uh, I've worked a number of times for this association. I'm actually one of the founding members of it, but they've not invited me back. I noted online where you submit programs that we don't pay speakers. So I picked up the phone and I called and he says, well, we pay some speakers, Jeff, you know, speakers like you. And I'm like, okay, great. But in that email that I sent last week, I said, you know, um, let's talk. I'd like to know more. And, and here's an idea that I had, an article I wrote that I thought maybe could become a workshop. Well, he passed right over that. And I didn't ask him to do this, but he dug into my blog and he's, we talked about creating new programs to solve specific needs for their members based upon the content that I had created. And I thought, you know, and, and so what am I going to do? Am I going to create a completely new program? No. What am I, I'm blogging about content that's already in my programs, in my expertise. I'm just going to kind of slant things toward that specific need and blow up that particular need and it, they're going to feel like they got exactly what they want, that customized presentation. And, and it's a beautiful fit. But I got to tell you that picking up the phone is, is working very well for me. So in my mind, you know, <laughs> digital, uh, physical, virtual reality, social selling, content marketing. I mean, this is all, it all has to be integrated. It all has to be congruent and it all works together. So if, if blogging is not working, you have to make a shift. Many of us shifted to podcasting. That stalled me. That, that helped a lot, but it also has begun to stall a little bit. So now I'm picking up the phone. I'm doing other things. And there's other ways to create content. I mean, such as industry surveys that have never been created before. That, that was a huge hit for me last year. So I'm going to keep doing that where I partnered with a, um, a media company. They, they have the list. I have the ideas. I did the work. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it worked out great. Wow. So let's, man, there's like 17 great ideas in there. So, <laughs> so number one, take the online relationship offline to a phone call, right? Digital mm -hmm. to analog. Mm -hmm. Number two, if you have past clients, current clients, collaborate with them on customizing a program based on some of your content. Super bonus on that idea. You're not actually creating new content at all. We're going to invent a term right now, Jeff. It's reverse 
relevancy hacking. We are doing reverse engineered relevancy hacking, meaning you're blogging on existing ideas from your keynote, from your workshop, from your seminars, from your coaching programs. When that attracts the attention of a corporate meeting planner, an association meeting planner, an executive, you hop on the phone. Number one, when you hop on the phone, let's say they left a comment. Let's say Mm -hmm. they liked it on Facebook. Let's say they retweeted something and you happen to know this person. They're in your CRM. They're in your database. You call them. It's now a celebrity moment. Oh my gosh, I've got Jeff on the phone. Jeff actually called me and he wants to collaborate to help my members or help my team or help my franchisees with this exact problem. And of course, you already have this content in your back pocket So the conversation flows easily and naturally, and now you're brainstorming and and creating something together, co-creating with your client, but you're essentially having a sales conversation based on your content marketing strategy. Yes. You said that better than I did. You used two keywords there. Number one that I didn't use, collaborate, because that is exactly what I put in the email. Because, you know, we all know that people don't like to be sold to. So a lot of people like to turn that around and say people like to buy. Yes, they do. What they really want is to co-create, that's another word you use, their own solution. And guess what? If I help to create my own solution, it has to be the right one because I, I, I participated in this. And so that is, is really where I've been trying to go and it, it is working. Jennifer Lede, CSP on VOE. Pretty exciting. Absolutely. So we're talking about getting naked, exposing the truth about running a speaking business or really any kind of business. Absolutely. So let's talk about what is the truth about running a speaking business, the the good, the bad, the ugly, and how did you discover it? Well, first of all, David, I never thought I'd be getting naked in public and certainly not with you. No offense. (laughs) But... The truth. Um, So I had been in business for a while and uh, later uh, in my business came to NSA and found that there was uh, so much exuberance and enthusiasm and everyone was so successful all the time, it seemed like. Um, But I felt like I must be doing something wrong because my business wasn't successful all the time. Um, And... You know, my business was good until it wasn't. And I wasn't hearing anybody talking about those moments. And the moments that I'm talking about is really what I call an energy crisis. So, you know, there were very good times and then there were some not so good times. And but nobody else seemed to be experiencing that. It seemed like, okay, what is going on with my business? I must suck. And so ultimately, I realized that maybe other people were experiencing that, but they just weren't really talking about it. Big time. Big time. So you and I are in the middle of this cocktail party right here at NSA. Yes. And this is the opposite of cocktail party talk, right? This is because I've experienced this. I've gone through these periods. And when we were preparing this segment, I even said to you, oh, man, Okay, let's let's do the march four years ago, four years before that, and then three years before that. And we're not talking about like a little dip in business. We're not talking about, eh, you kind of lose your mojo for a week, you're tired. We're talking about a week's long or a month's long depression. And I don't mean clinical depression because I'm not sure what that's about. I'm not a doctor. Don't play <laughs> one on TV. But 
you know, you're emotionally depressed, you're financially depressed, you're intellectually depressed, you're spiritually depressed, you're throwing in the towel. I know during my periods of this kind of real self-examination, self-doubt. Uh, I was literally on Monster.com. I mean, I, you, you and I talked about this. Yes. I'm on Monster.com. I'm saying, I'm just going to go get a job. <laughs> I'm just going to go work for the man. I, I'm going to throw in the towel. This is too hard. And we don't talk about this, but, you know, every seasoned speaker is listening to us right now going, yeah, I've had that. Every mid-career speaker, yeah, I've had that. Even some of our new folks that are in this only one or two years, they go, man, is it supposed to be this hard? Am I supposed to have this much self-doubt? And we're just here to say, gang, it happens. It's normal. We need to talk about it. We need to give you some strategies to work through it. And um, that's what we're really here to do. So when we experience one of these energy crises or the ebbs and the flows, and this obviously is an ebb when the the tide is going out and we're feeling kind of hopeless and we're not sure where to turn and what to do, should we just try harder? Should we just man up, woman up, hustle more, uh, exert more force to bring the business back? Do we? What do we do? Do we just slap ourselves around? What's the strategy? Well, you know, the it's it's counterintuitive, but it really one of the worst things you can do is try to force something to happen. Um, you can't force the the tide to come into the shoreline, and you can't force business to come to you. In fact, that is. It, it, it will have a tendency to repel people. You know, people will smell desperation a mile away, and it's not attractive. Um, so just trying to force it, trying to push harder. Yeah, there are certain things you need to do. Um, try not to get to that point of desperation because that is not going to get you what you're looking for. Desperation is going to repel people rather than attract them. So it's not about get back to work, market harder, go, 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 go. Because every bone in our body, and again, I'm going back to my own experiences with this, and we're kind of co-hosting this segment yes. more so. You know, you can you can interview me if you want for just yes. kind of a little fun thing. The last thing I want to do when I go through one of these periods is think about work, uh, do any work, talk to any clients, talk to any prospects, sit down at the computer. I just literally, I mean, it's... It's one of these things where you don't want to get out of bed. You want to watch a lot of TV. You And maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. I'm not sure, Jennifer, how much popcorn and TV you did. But, you know, you just don't feel like doing anything. And your motivation is down. Your energy is down. Your and reason you, and, for getting and, out of bed is, is not even there. Yeah, and confidence goes out the window. Uh, so, you know, it's counterintuitive, but one of the things that I have found – uh, helps me is to kind of lean into this time and say, hmm, okay, what do I need to learn from this? Maybe I need to uh, uh, reflect a little bit, reassess, uh, reboot, reinvent. A lot of words that begin with R-E, in other words. Um, so, you know, take the time to reassess what you're doing and look at the big picture. Uh, when you're when you're blowing and going, you got your head down. You're working in the biz. This is a time you can pick your head up and look at the big picture and say, "What am I doing? And what can I do differently?" Reach out to some of your best clients. Um, 
and ask for their air, which is a, a term that I've learned from the master, uh, the new maniac It's himself. actually our friend. So I, I borrowed that term from Michael Goldberg, yes. CSP. And just so we're clear on what an asking for air conversation is, the way Michael describes it, it's telling people what you want or asking them for a specific outcome that you're trying to achieve and then saying the exact words, I would love your advice, insights, and recommendations. Yes. And A is for advice. I is for insights and R is for recommendations because when you ask it that way, it just opens up the conversation to all kinds of wonderful possibilities. Absolutely. And now it's it's interesting because I had lunch with a client the other day and she wanted to meet with me to ask for my air because I've done the same with her in the past. So, you know, find out what are their burning issues, what are their needs right now, what advice, insights, and recommendations they might have for you. Another thing that we tend to do, which, uh, you know, it's only natural, as you mentioned, popcorn and TV, we tend to want to retreat and hunker down in our little cave and isolate ourselves. And that's really not good for you at all. It's not good for your business. So that's when you reach out to your speaker buddies and say, hey, dude, I'm having this problem. Have you ever had this problem? What do you do about it? Or else just... Like, can we have a drink together? And, you know, I'm not saying have a full-on pity party by any means, but that's when we need to be there for each other. Yeah, and I'll tell you a little secret here. And again, as I was coming up in the business and still as I'm looking to my idols and my heroes that I, I look up to to this day, if you ask a really successful speaker, really successful consultant, really successful coach, hey, I'm having this energy crisis, I've lost my mojo, I'm kind of, you know, I'm down in the doldrums here a little bit, the most successful speakers and experts are the ones that will identify with this syndrome the most. Yes. They will have experienced it probably more frequently than the folks that are just one, two, three years into it or kind of, you know, mildly successful, just kind of chugging along. But the folks that have really made it, they have climbed these mountains before you and reaching out and being vulnerable and being willing to ask for help and then reconnecting. I love all your rewords. I mean, that's exactly what you need. You need to reconnect with your speaker buddies. You need to reboot your enthusiasm. You need to recommit to your clients. You need to uh, relook at your business. Is this the business that you fell in love with? Is this the business that you wanted when you started Absolutely. your entrepreneurial journey? And if it's not, make some changes. Yeah, this is the time to do it. And and really, um, you know, maybe these things happen for a reason. And you need you need this time to rethink and reinvent because maybe you're less than you've become less than relevant and so um, putting a fresh spin on things putting a fresh uh, you know coat of paint can help quite a lot yeah absolutely so and, and again let's just talk about the emotional side of this because I, I don't want our listeners to think that this is a sign of weakness mm-hmm. because being vulnerable when you're feeling weak is actually a sign of strength, yeah. right? And just like, you know, all of the top athletes, all of the top performers in any field, they're the first ones to hire the coaches, hire the experts, commit to lifelong learning, constantly be sharpening the saw, as Stephen Covey likes to say, or like to say, because he's not sharpening many saws these days. <laughs> um, but so let's talk about that sort of being willing 
to give in to the weakness and not feeling, oh, I'm supposed to be the speaker. I'm supposed to be the expert. I'm supposed to be the guru that all my clients look up to. I can't express weakness. I can't express vulnerability. I can't let the world know. I can't even let few individual close relationships know that I'm having a hard time. That's faulty thinking. Am I right? Yes, it is. And I mean, that that is what went through me because I thought no one's talking about this. So I must be the only one going through this. And, you know, I've had, like you, uh, many cycles like this where, it, you know, high highs and low lows. And uh, but nobody else was talking about it. And um, I just finally said, you know, I'm going to call out the elephant in the room and just be willing to talk about it. And as soon as I have, I mean, I was talking about this last night in the bar. And um, so many people were like, you too? Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. So it's apparently it's not just me and yeah. it's not just you. Yeah, apparently not. We're or, or we're just an excellent company. There you go. I don't know. We're an elite company. So final thoughts on this. And again, it's you know, even if we solve it once, and like I said in my own life, I can I can give you dates. I can look at the calendar and go, "Oh yeah, it was, you know, 2012, <laughs> 2008, 2005." That's, you know, and we have we have smaller episodes of this. So here's my calendar. Here's my crazy ebb and flow energy crisis calendar. I have a small one every Four to six months. Small. It's not like derailing me. I'm not in bed for weeks. I'm not, you know. Uh, Then, about every three to four years, I hit a big one. And I mean big, like a freaking tsunami. Can we say freaking on VOE? I think you just did. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Just a tsunami. I mean, a tidal wave, and it just knocks you onto your butt. And sometimes the source of this can be physical. If you have a wellness issue, a health issue, sometimes it's financial. Sometimes you've had a client nightmare, just a horrible, horrible client situation that just totally knocks you off your game. So we're not talking about the small ones. The small ones you can deal with. The small ones, you know, you have some, you have some brownies, you have some cookies, you put on five pounds, and then, and then you're back <laughs> in the game. Uh, we're talking about the big ones. So just even looking at that calendar, even if you're out of one, being prepared, being resilient, being ready for the next one. Any tips, any ideas there? Because it's not a question of if you'll have the next one. It's when you have the next one. How do you bounce back? How do you respond? How do you get out of it? Any thoughts there? Setting some things in place uh, where you've got uh, perennial clients, work that's ongoing, and that you've booked year after year after year. I mean, that's, of course, the gift that keeps on giving. That helps to level out some of those ebbs. And uh, setting yourself up for more flows is obviously uh, the goal. You know, having some uh, of those kinds of clients as a foundation will help you to stay afloat when, when things tend to drop off. And then, um, like I said, you know, reaching out to clients, reaching out to friends, um, understanding that you're not the only one dealing with this, but also allowing yourself to lean into it a little bit. And and maybe, you know what, maybe it, it, it's for a reason because you needed to reevaluate and you needed to rest, too. Yeah. And again, yeah, thinking back to your business, I, I know thinking back to my business, each one of those pivots, each one of those pivotal years 
um, you know, that three or four year major, major dip that ended up in a pivot and in a left turn or a right turn. I'm so grateful that my business evolved because it had to evolve because I had to stop doing what wasn't working. It was throwing me off my game. And I started doing something fresh and new and different and that made all the difference. So yes. you can't, it's almost like no pain, no gain. Yes. And that's easy to say on, you know, on an audio, but it is, you really have to understand that you're going through this for a reason. Yeah, you, you are. And if, you know, I tell my clients this all the time. And so, you know, physician, heal thyself. I need to take my own advice. But the truth is, is that if you're not constantly changing and evolving, you are going to be left in your competition's dust. And so this is a time to evolve and rethink your business and lean into it. Because usually when you look in retrospect at those moments, as you said, you end up, you're very grateful for them because you pivoted onto something newer, bigger, better, and more successful. And now your NSA national president and mine and overall good guy, Brian Walter, CSP, CPAE. Hi, Brian Walter here, and it's time once again to explore how we can apply the official non-theme presidential concept acronym WSLTC WISLITSI. Want something? Leverage the community. Today, I'm sharing an international cross-association example. It's how a speaker now has an entire new business that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for NSA and PSA. It's a little complicated, but you can handle it. It starts with Julie Holmes. She's a sales expert in corporate and an NSA member in Arizona. While attending a chapter event, she meets NSA past president Kristen Arnold and mentions that she's moving to the UK with her husband. Kristen says, oh, well, when you get there, you should totally meet Alan Stevens. He's really connected with PSA, the Professional Speakers Association of the United Kingdom and Ireland. Now, for those listening, if you're not aware, NSA is a member of the Global Speakers Federation, or GSF. The GSF consists of 15 independent speaker associations from over 20 countries. So basically, we have helpful speaker cousins all over the world. Back to Julie and the WIS of Wislitzi wants something. Julie wants to reestablish her speaker business in the UK. She knows nobody. But the first person she has coffee with is, of course, Alan Stevens. And he connects her to PSA. And even though she has this funny American accent, PSA nevertheless becomes Julie's instant support network, mentors, and colleagues. She felt she was part of a stronger community after three months than she had experienced in her corporate job after 10 years. Now, fast forward a little. At a PSA chapter meeting in London, Alan tells Julie, hey, you speak on sales, you should meet Steve Clark. He's a PSA member who runs a four-fee executive mastermind group. They head it off, and Steve invites Julie to speak to his group. When she shows up, Julie says, how about I record this speech for your members who aren't here? Steve goes, sure, but I don't have any camera gear. Julie says, no problem, I'll use my phone. But then Steve goes, yeah, but the audio is always so bad when you do that. But, and this is the big plot twist, Julie just happens to be a secret inventor. Really. And she pulls out a Bluetooth microphone she created a prototype of. And she clips it on and uses that to record her speech as audio while her phone is capturing the video on a tripod 15 feet or so away. The sound is perfectly clear. Steve was happy with Julie's speech, but afterwards all he wanted to talk about was this Bluetooth microphone. 
He'd never seen one. In fact, no one had yet created a Bluetooth microphone that connects to an app on mobile phones to help those who want to record video and audio together. Steve's pumped about the possibilities. The next week, Steve and Julie have coffee and agree to become partners in developing a Bluetooth microphone and taking it to market. And they do at a blisteringly fast pace. Back to Wislitzy. Once again, Julie wants something. Help in product development. And once again, Julie is able to leverage the community to get that help. Julie is a member of two speaker mastermind groups. To the first one, she brings a baggie of Bluetooth microphone prototypes. They become an instant focus group. They try them on, review the weight, ease of use, and the appearance. They narrow down the choices from eight to two, and they even come up with a product name, Hey Mike. In the second mastermind group, Julie gets free input on her financial plan, marketing, manufacturing, and rollout strategy. Later, when it comes to retaining some specialized services, Julie hires her fellow PSA speakers. And throughout this process, when Julie needed some fast feedback or encouragement, she discovered that if she posted a question or challenge on the Power Women of NSA's Facebook page, within hours, she'd have 20 to 30 responses. Julie's extended speaker community became Hey Mike's product development champions. So, a mere 93 days after having coffee with Steve, Julie's fast-track invention went from prototype to launch. It's now being used by speakers, trainers, podcasters, comedians, and videographers all over the world. Julie told me that the experience of developing Haymike was like working on a global speaker class project. And it's a compelling story. In fact, Julie was asked to share exactly how she leveraged her speaking community as part of a keynote in Athens to over 1,000 entrepreneurs. So, score another success for the power of WSLTC with Litzy. Want something? Leverage the community. We're in the lobby. We're in the bar. We're in the hallway. Liz Wanger's here. What's a what's a big problem that speakers like us do way too often? So one of the biggest problems that speakers have is that they bury their lead. They may start. We've all been coached. Hey, start with a great story. And sometimes that story goes on and on and on and on, and it's about them or it's about someone. And and the audience is sitting there thinking, Why do I care about this? Why does that matter to me? And then. Sometimes the story never actually connects with the rest of the speech. So if you're going to uh, tell a story or you're going to open with a story, make sure that you lead off with why they're interested in that story. It's just like we all love Aesop's fables. We love the tortoise and the hare. We don't really care that much about the tortoise and the hare. We care about the lesson. And that's the most important thing to, to think about as a speaker when you're telling a story. To wrap up, it's time for VOD, Voice of David. That's me sharing my thoughts to help you grow your business, market smarter, and speak more profitably. Don't be worried that people will steal your stuff. In fact, be worried that they don't. If your stuff isn't good enough to steal, if your stuff isn't being ripped off, copied, mimicked, stolen, adapted, maybe it's not that good. So rather than be overprotective and be constantly paranoid, oh, they're going to steal my stuff. They're going to steal that story. They're going to steal my PowerPoint. They're going to steal my slides. They're going to steal my ideas. They're going to steal my sound bites. They're going to steal my stuff. Don't worry about that. Worry that it's not good enough to steal and constantly make it better. That's it for this edition. We'll see you next time on Voices of Experience.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>